Hello everybody and welcome to episode number two of For Fit's Sake, the podcast brought to you by FS Gyms. I'm Rory McInerney and I'm joined as always by... Kieran Ruddock. And this week we have a very special guest on the podcast. We are so pumped to have Richard Scrivener in the studio with us. Rich is an animal flow master instructor and a man with over 15 years working in the health and fitness industry. Let's get stuck in. Okay, so Rich, thanks a million for joining us. Um, we're, we're really happy to have you on the podcast. Are you enjoying your time in Dublin so far? I certainly am. It's always a good crack to come over to Dublin. Yeah, all good so far. You were a good boy last night, though, into bed early, getting ready for the workshop today. Yeah, got to be done. Yeah, need to be fresh and, uh, and, and strong for the day. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's what we're having Rudds in this morning. We had to do our uh, fitness forfeit from last week, thanks to you, Rudds. Yeah, uh, complacency got the better of me. Two questions in, thinking I was cruising it, and then... Uh, <laughs> I should have gone with my gut. Yeah, Here we yeah. Are. Well, that's what Rich will find out what that's all about later on. Oh, um, joy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Rich, you want to just tell people who are listening um, what you're doing in Dublin? Yeah, sure. So, I'm over here for this weekend uh, hanging out with you guys, and we are teaching the Level 1 Animal Flow Certification. Awesome. And uh, how many workshops would you would you typically do a year? Well, uh, I think this year's been my busiest year, so probably touching uh, best part of 15 workshops, I think, this year. Okay. So it's been a, yeah, it's been a big one. And all over the world or just Europe or? Yeah, a bit of everywhere. So uh, my base is in London, but I've just come back from a little tour of Asia where I was in uh, Thailand and India. We did three workshops in different cities in India, Bangalore, Mumbai, Delhi. Um, last week was Switzerland. Next week is Poland. And uh, yeah, with you guys this weekend. So it's been a, a great opportunity to, to get around a little bit. Coming from Thailand and India to Dublin in November probably is a bit, <laughs> bit of a comeback, but uh What's obviously you're probably meeting like we did the workshop last November with you in in at yoga in Dublin and uh, like what kind of struck me about it was the the broad spectrum of people that you get in the room like you've got guys who are coming from physio uh, yoga Pilates you know completely different walks of life and different disciplines what what do you think is the the most unique thing about the animal flow workshops Yeah you know you hit the nail on the head there it brings together like minded people that have a Completely unique background, like you said, perhaps yoga, martial arts, breakers, uh, parkour uh, participants, um, and then just regular guys and girls that just like training. And regardless of the background, I think everyone comes to the workshop because they have that common theme of they understand that they need to bring more movement into their body. And they look at Animal Flow as a system that can offer them the opportunity to bring movement into what they already do, to complement what they already do. Or maybe they're just looking to take a a bit of a U-turn and actually back away from some of the, the, the training uh, approaches they've used in the last few years and actually uh, branch out and, and, and really try and hit the movement stuff. And do you find that uh, you see people who come in, like guys like us, obviously uh, we, our kind of big passion is, is strength training uh, and a big part of that for us is mobility. We have to be mobile to be strong. So do you get a lot of guys who come in sort of like ego in the way, just lifting weights and you've <laughs> got to sort of, are they just, are they skeptical when they come in or are they, they coming in really open-minded to it? Yeah, most people are really surprisingly open-minded. I mean, we get some, you know, guys that are just doing curls for girls and, 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 and they're in there in, in the level one uh, on day one. And, you know, we start putting them into some of the animal flow positions and you see these big jack dudes that are trembling and shaking under their own body weight, trying to hold particular static positions. Why'd you look at Rudd's there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't at all. But um, yeah, it, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll call you Jack. That's good. Yeah. It's, it's great that those guys are, are there because they appreciate that perhaps what they've been doing in the past has led them 
to a certain point where maybe they're just not feeling great within their bodies and they need to do something about that. So, you know, kudos to, to those people that turn up and, and are open-minded enough to give it to give it their best and bring some movement into their into their existing training. Yeah, that's, and is there anything, is that kind of your favorite part of it is seeing those different types of bodies or is there what, what do you really love about the workshops? Yeah, that's it for sure. Um, there's such a diversity of people and, and everybody's pretty humble. They leave the ego at the door. I mean, we've had some really high-level yoga practitioners, some, some awesome martial artists that have come on the course, um, guys and girls that have a gymnastics background and I, I tend to say to people at the start of a workshop that regardless of where you've come from just you know sort of forget those principles for now and be open-minded to the fact that we're about to use and learn different movements that your body hasn't experienced before so regardless of what you can already do we're now about to engage and learn and bring into our bodies new motor programs that are completely different so don't expect that you would be good at them straight away and often that's the case you know someone that you would really think should nail a particular movement isn't that great to begin with until they put the practice in just like every one of us yeah you didn't mention going for steak with the lads on saturday evenings after <laughs> after that how good was that last night oh man that steak especially those scallops on the side the scall- yeah. i was thinking the scallops were the key yeah. yeah. was having rich ended up ordering the exact same meal it was a bit kind of looked like i was copying them but that <laughs> oh, we, was... we know the route to gains yeah that's it yeah, i would say that yeah uh, perfect so um Rhodes just had got a couple of questions on your, your background rich and kind of give again people a bit more of an insight into what you're all about so um, we were just doing some research, obviously, before you came over, Rich, and getting a deep... Obviously, we met you twice, once at Wellfest, and then... Um, we were like, wow, we- who is that guy? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I was waiting... At that, I was waiting for you to be taking, like, a like a lifting workshop or... You know, I kind of I saw you in the distance, and I was like, right, that guy's obviously, like, power lifter. He's got something... And then you're sort of crawling around on the grass, and I was like, what the hell is... i got to go over and check that out. But, like, that's that's the kind of perception that we had coming yeah, from the outside surprise yeah yeah it's yeah. good you got that down <laughs> and then obviously we met you at the level one last year which was um a brilliant experience and kind of opened our eyes to um obviously i'd been working with uh Kama and ryan for about eight nine months before that but um going to level one was really good as well and um obviously after that then we've been following you on social media but um before you came over did a bit more digging in and looking into your background and kind of pulling out some of the highlights. And from what I can see, uh, 15 years experience in the industry, uh, lecturer in health, fitness and nutrition, animal flow master instructor, Vivo Barefoot running coach, course writer for the UK's most popular kettlebell course, worked as a professional strength and conditioning coach in rugby and with soccer and judo. Um, pretty extensive background uh, looking at that. Thanks, man. <laughs> the FBI are not out of the background. Yeah, no, no. Done, say, that was our research team. We have an extensive research team digging in. But the thing Rudds did mention is what you were telling us about last night is the Universal Pictures gig. Yeah, yeah. yeah obviously, the rest, everything else is very impressive. Okay, like 15 years working as a PT, uh, you know, building fantastic client base, become an animal flow master instructor. But typically, we want to know what went down in Hollywood. <laughs> Well, yeah, that was a, a really cool experience. I just had a call one day from uh, a lady that made fitness DVDs and she just, she just said to me, you know, your name's been put forward to us as someone that could possibly help us with uh, creating a bodyweight program that is based around the Tabata training protocol. And, uh, you know, obviously everyone's heard of Tabata training. It's a, it's a pretty uh, popular training format that's pervasive around gyms and studios all around the world. And, uh, and so straight away it piqued my interest, uh, you know, in as far as everybody knows what this system is. So what, what could you possibly need my help with? 
Um, and the conversation was pretty much along the lines of we've been speaking with Professor Azumi Tabata over in Rizmunskan University in Japan. Uh, he's on board, and, and you know, immediately when she said that, I'm like, okay, you know, this is this is pretty cool. Um, and we had a conversation about uh, their intentions, which was to create a bodyweight training system using the Tabata training protocol, but to try and keep it as authentic as possible. And could I lend them some ideas on how those exercises might be used to maintain the sorts of intensities that were used in the original research by Professor Tabata? So, um, yeah, it, it sort of kicked off from there. I, I met up with the guys. We had a couple of good meetings. Um, they flew Professor Zumi Tabata over to the UK. Uh, I had the privilege of spending a few hours with him. He talked me through all of his research, helped me to understand what the actual Tabata protocol was really about, where it came from, uh, the sort of research results that they got from that, and what in his mind he felt was an authentic way to use Tabata training. So that was the biggest eye-opener for me, actually understanding what the protocol was really about and how it should be used. There's probably misconceptions about how it should be used, like we were talking about it again yesterday, in what the absolute version of the Tabata program is yeah, in terms sure. of how it's applied. So, uh, like, do you want to fill, fill us in on that? That's going to... Yeah, so I, I think one, a little quote that Professor Zumi Tabata mentioned that sticks in my head is uh, he was asked at a press conference once, you know, what do you think about all these people on YouTube uh, doing Tabata and stuff? And he just, you know, he's a very humble, quiet man. He just sort of sat there and he said, it's great that when I look on the YouTube, you know, I see all these, these guys and girls doing Tabata training with press-ups and medicine balls and kettlebells and things like that. He said, if people are moving, that that's good enough for me. And if I've had an influence and helped people to bring exercise into their world, regardless of whether it's authentic, and, and sticks to the to the genuine principles of the research then yeah then so be it but the actual research itself is is, is quite interesting in as far as they used um you know professional athletes japanese speed skaters um and uh well it was modeled on what what training they were doing at the time and, and could the japanese speed skating coach actually get the the skaters into into better condition so he went to professor Izumi Tabata and said i've got these ideas um, and most people don't know that Professor Izumi Tabata did not come up with the, the protocol himself. It was the speed skating coach that did so. But whenever you speak to the professor, whenever, whenever he does a talk, he'll always introduce that right at the start and say, hey, listen, guys, this was not my protocol. I just did the research, published the results. And of course, the rest is Get history. Get all the credit. He gets yeah. all the credit and all the girls. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 not at all. <laughs> um, so the research is pretty cool. And what they did is they... They had guys work at the equivalent of 170% of their VO2 max for the 20-second work period that, that we all know about. And 170% of VO2 max is a, is a pretty decent whack. It's a pretty high power output. And the way he described it to us is that on the first couple of weeks of the, of the trial for the research... The guys doing these protocols, once they got to round four, five, and six, they, they were beginning to die. And they were actually not able to sustain that 170% power output uh, of VO2 max for those later intervals. It was only later into the further weeks where they were able to kind of uh, build their, their power endurance and actually make, sustain and maintain that, that power output. So I guess the, the way to look at that is that when we go into the gym or when we see somebody do, performing a Tabata workout and they're doing multiple Tabatas, so three or four rounds of the four minutes of 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, you know, what we know straight away is that that workout is nowhere near the intensity that was used during the original research. And again, that's not to say that that's not a, you know, a good way to train and we shouldn't be doing that, but 
to, I guess, be authentic and to look at how the Tabata protocol was originally performed, it was done at such high levels of intensity that after four minutes of, of, of work, you got off the, the bike or the treadmill of the road, whatever it was, and you, you had to lay down and, and stay down for a significant period of time while you recovered because you you know, you were hanging big style. And if you've ever tried a, a genuine uh, Tabata, you know, you, you're mashed at the end of it and you really don't want to do anything else. So if you can do these multiple rounds of, of four minutes, it's a great way to train. And there's no doubt you can still work super hard, but you're not working as hard as the original research had actually uh, used. And that was a big eye opener to me and really interesting. That's probably one of those compromises that PTs and strength coaches and, you know, that we have to make in terms of if it is that thing like Professor Tabata saying at least people are moving and they're exercising. Yeah. And if it's a popular and simple way that, you know, the adherence is low, you just get in, you turn your time around 20 on 10 off eight efforts. That's absolutely better than nothing. But <laughs> to, to apply it, like you need things like assault bikes, re- really high power output pieces of equipment That's that it, you can exactly. actually push yourself to that 170. Um, like roads you're talking rower, skier, spikes. And I think it comes back to what's the goal, as in it, it, that um, study is for elite athletes um, trying to improve their VO2 max. Whereas if you're going for a workout and you've got to do, say, three to four rounds on the rower and you've got to do that intensity and it's just on the rower machine because that's where you're going to see the power output, it's not the most fun or exciting workout in the world. <laughs> not at all. Um, so maybe if... So, so for like we use the Tabata protocol a lot in our classes, um, but not, not necessarily strictly in that way. We might use it with mixed methods of movements and maybe do burpees for one 20 second effort then you might do squats for another 20 second effort and alternate between and that way it's not the same protocol but it's still a really good workout yeah and it's way more fun and it's way more enjoyable so like if your goal is to like your one goal is i want to come in i want to improve my vo2 max or it might be (laughs) i want to improve my sports performance then maybe it is a case that the best approach for you is to go on the rowing machine and do that workout and be really diligent to hit those numbers. Whereas if you're coming in and you're like, I just want to look, feel and perform better and mm-hmm. I want to get a really good workout that I really enjoy and it adds 45 minutes of like really good feeling to my day, then it's a case where you can get a really good challenging workout in, but you could do loads of different yeah. things, loads of different <laughs> movements. And, it, and it'd be very enjoyable. And then even if you think of like the amount of training time you might have, say for instance, you're someone who works out three to five times a week mm. and you've got 45 minutes or 30 minutes to do a workout. Then if you just do that one single modality, then if you link it back to with animal flow, doing various different movements, you're just doing the same movement over and over again. So is that maybe making you as well-rounded and able to move or feel as good as you possibly can? Whereas maybe doing that... Yeah adapted tobacco protocol where you do like four or five different exercises different planes of movement different speeds and you did that over your three to five workouts in a week you'd probably come out with a lot more movement patterns so one's more enjoyable but two you're probably a better rounded person as in you're more functional you can move you can do all these different things instead of maybe being just good on the rower or just good on the bike so that's that's the best thing is like when you were speaking to professor tabata that he actually said that himself is look it's you know it's not exactly the way it was intended to be but it's doing exactly what you're saying roads it's getting people moving better (laughs) and i think it does really does come back to like for all of us including myself is being really clear on what our why is and why we're in the gym so it's very easy to look at what people are doing so like through different stages of your life your priorities might change 
So say, for instance, if you want to be a professional athlete, then you've got to be crystal clear, like, why you're doing that workout, what you're trying to get out of it. Yeah, for sure. Whereas it's very easy to go on social media and look at what the professional athlete's doing, and then you're like, oh, I've got to be doing that to get there. But it, it, And you see it a lot, and I've maybe fallen into that trap a few times myself where you look at it and you're like, oh, if I do that. But then you're like, well, my goal isn't the same as that person's goal, so my training shouldn't be the same. My priorities aren't the same. So I think that's very important for people when they're looking at things like this in terms of saying, like, mm. that's not a true tobacco protocol, this is a true way to do it looking at well what's the person trying to achieve what do they want to get out of the session what's their other commitments like and then picking the one that actually has the biggest impact and the best use of their time yeah i would summarize that by saying are we looking to build capacity within the, the the energy systems the fitness systems of the body or are we looking to build well rounded fitness with a variety of movement patterns yeah and that's that's what it is for most people, like especially our kind of the clients that we see all the time. That that's the most important thing is people who can look, feel, move better. That's that's their what their priorities are, not necessarily performance. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's good. It's it's good to have the the scope to do both within sort of those traditional programs. But Rich, <coughs> at the kind of obviously very good content there, but kind of famous people. Who did you meet over there? What what happened when you were you were in Hollywood shooting the video, weren't you? Yeah, we we shot the DVD um, in the UK, but I did get the chance to go over to to. Uh, LA, um, hang out in a couple of the cool studios there where we were filming a lot of the, the content for uh, the Tabata program that, that Universal Pictures wanted to launch. So I got to hang out with a couple of cool people. There's a, a, a cool guy called PJ Stahl, who's a pretty famous uh, fitness trainer over in LA. Uh, spent some time with him. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great to be in that environment and, uh, you know, sort of see what the, the other guys are doing across the pond. You didn't get roped in for any stunt doubling, Jason Statham or anything like that? No, they asked me a couple of times. I'm just like, oh, guys, I'm too big. Too much hair. To pass up. You've, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if yeah. you just kind of shaved you. I need an early night, yeah. That's fair enough, yeah. <laughs> uh, so again, from kind of our, our research team that we're digging out all this, these facts on your itch, um, like I obviously follow you on social media and a couple of things that I've seen consistently popping up that you keep mentioning in your posts are, the first thing is, you want your students and your clients to see the big picture with regards to their health and fitness. And you also talk about building health and fitness from the ground up. That's kind sure. of consistently mentioned across the board. Like, What do those concepts mean to you? Yeah, well, I'm glad you kind of picked up on that because I think the health and fitness industry is awesome in as far as there's so much great information out there, so many cool workouts out there that people can do. There's so much available information on nutrition. Everybody's got an opinion um, and... I think the most important thing sometimes is just to take a bit of a step back and look at the bigger picture and say, okay, what are the big rocks? What are the key things that if I do these things day in, day out, um, and and we might just pick three, four or five top really important things, they are going to get me 80% of the results I need towards building sound, solid, robust health, good, solid fitness, and they're going to keep me healthy. And then you can pepper in all of the other smaller details on top of that. But I think what a lot of people will often do is dive down straight into some of those smaller details, into some of the minutiae, um, and start worrying about you know timing their nutrition around their workout or taking this supplement or doing this particular repetition scheme within a workout or picking this exercise over this exercise and having this angle in my back versus this angle. And they're all important details at some point. Yes, they become relevant. But I think there's almost a checklist of things we have to be able to do first consistently before we even have that conversation. Um, and so for me, building building fitness and health from the ground up and focusing on the bigger picture is really about getting all those big rock priorities um, 
in there daily, consistently first before we start tackling some of the smaller things. That's something we kind of <clears throat> we we've kind of come across, and we're trying to teach the people now. And the the phrase that sums it up for us is um, better basics equals better results. Because it's so easy to look for that magic bullet, like you said, that if I tie my nutrients like this, or I read if I do this exercise, I'm going to get more. But then you could be getting five hours sleep a night and mm. having two meals a day, or you could be, um, you know, not have the the range of motion to do said exercise that hits you back from that angle. So then it becomes this thing that you've kind of really put all your eggs in that basket that that's going to get you the results but like you said you're not at the stage in your journey yet where one it's appropriate for you to do but two it's not something you should maybe be focusing your energy on you should be maybe be focusing on getting two extra hours sleep or you should be focusing your energy on getting those two extra meals or maybe focusing your energy on increasing your shoulder range of motion so you can do that exercise the way it was supposed to be done yeah for sure yeah I, I couldn't agree more with that I think once you get those foundations laid down and you are like exactly like you guys say you're doing the basics well the, the results will come if you just give it long enough to play out and, and most people are in a hurry aren't they they want results or a body transformation in five weeks or 10 weeks and you know yeah you can do those things but they're not sustainable and if you you can help somebody to across six months 12 months 18 months do those basics consistently and the people that, that we're helping if they buy into that and they're willing to let that timeline play out then they'll be so much better for it and their body's going to adjust and adapt and it's going to function at a much higher level and then keeping those results is going to be all the more easy for them after that See, period it's that emotional attachment at the very start as well if you're doing something that isn't enjoyable we talked about it on the first podcast with uh, Phil Heath's words and what we plan in all of our programming where we want to work hard like that's the foundation for everything work smart so you got a plan and you're sticking to it and then having fun if you're trying things like intermittent fasting for example is something we'd a few guys would come in I'm intermittent fasting but they're so cranky when they're coming into the gym they haven't had good night's sleep because they're hungry like there's not a good emotional attachment for them to get the results so even if they get the short-term results that they want and they can see the benefits of these things mm. they're never going to keep it up long term so if you can just put like you say get those big rocks in place where look i'm consistently training three four times a week my training is varied but it's ticking all the boxes for what i need to help me progress that's something they can emotionally sustain and it's something that yeah. becomes enjoyable and you know intermittent fasting is a great example and, I, and, and i've looked into this a, a lot and i've used to play around with intermittent fasting a bit and one of the things i always used to say to people is make sure whatever you do if you're going to do intermittent fasting that you get great night's sleep the night before because you know you ask the question how do you feel when you've had a crappy night's sleep and it's you know i'm tired i want caffeine i want sugar and i want energy because you you may have energy within your body yes it's stored there but you might not feel that, that energy is available to you and so you're trying to fast and not bring calories into the body, and yet you're, the urges you receive are give me caffeine, give me energy, give me you know, give me sugar, and, and those two things are quite conflicting. So it makes it really hard for you to adhere to an intermittent fasting protocol when, for example, you've had a bad night's sleep. So you know, I, I couldn't agree more with you guys that if those foundations are in place, then the more advanced or the more challenging protocols that can be great and can give good results, they can be used after the foundations are laid down. So yeah, good shout. I'm I'm working with a guy at the moment and he's um doing like a body composition work and he's basically um he came to me about intermittent fasting and I was like well I'm not sure I don't, I'd like I don't think your basics are where they need to be um and then he kind of has gone away and like just worked on eating real foods eat, preparing more of his own meals 
all these kind of basic things, getting protein in both meals, loads of vegetables. And then he came back to me again and said, no, I'm kind of doing this stuff. I'm really confident with it. I want to try it. I'm like, perfect, let's try it. And he's kind of doing two days a week now. Mm. And for him, it works really well because he, like, it fits his lifestyle really well, but he's already got these basics really, really good, really nailed down. It fits his lifestyle and it's not a chore for him to do it. He kind of enjoys, one, the freedom to not have to think about food and you go into work and then you come home. But two, he's got all those basics down that he's not using it as an excuse to go home then and binge eat and eat a lot of processed foods or mm. all that type of thing it's, he's already in the habit of eating really good food he's got a good kind of system uh, he's got loads of good habits and then now he's trying this and it's kind of kicking his results on to another level because he's equipped with the tools Exactly, and And it works for him because his body is functioning well. He's in good health. He has good metabolic flexibility. He has good nutrients within the body that are liberating energy for for him. Um, His cellular pathways are all working well. And so he can succeed with intermittent fasting. It can work for him. But try throwing someone into intermittent fasting that's stressed, not eating a particularly good diet, isn't getting great sleep and those kind of things. And it will be the worst experience for them possible. And they just won't do it. And then their experience of either intermittent fasting or any other dietary approach becomes a negative one and they don't want to go there again. But if just, you know, if only that person had those foundations in place, they'd been experiencing it for a little while, their body had, I guess, settled down into some kind of equilibrium and it was functioning well. And now that's the time to say, okay, let's give this a go. Let's give that a go. Let's find what works for you. It's, it's that search for extremes in the bell curve. It's kind of that thing where if you're in the middle of the bell curve already and you're doing most of the things right, you can try the opposite ends. But if you're at one end of the spectrum, trying to go straight to the other is never going to work yeah and that's like you talked about you experimented with intermittent fasting and like you're a guy who practices what you preach you say that at a lot of your things and it, it shows you know in your physique <laughs> and, and the way you move with your animal flow like you can't become a, a master instructor unless you're really really good at what you do um like that's something that's so important for us and we kind of pass that knowledge on to people like we've tried this we know how it feels uh, and if like you can't just go from a point where your basics are poor to shooting for the other end of the spectrum so like why do you think it's really important that coaches like you always mention in practicing what you preach why do you think that's such a big thing in the fitness industry um i think there's a couple of reasons to that i mean number one you you, you have to want to live it yourself you have to want to experience it you genuinely have to want to understand um how to be more healthy yourself how to be fitter yourself you have to put yourself through that and i think when that passion and understanding is deep rooted inside you it makes it so much more easy to communicate with other people so it's that classic example isn't it if you want to be a good teacher or a good coach the the more deeply you understand something the more easy it is to simply break it down for someone else and, and give them a very basic simple explanation and clear away all the fluff and all the detail and all the complications and just say to someone look I'm going to explain this concept to you and really it can be boiled down to this A, B and C and they walk away going, wow, great. You know, I always thought that was quite a complicated thing to get my head around, but you've made it sound really easy. And I think you can only help people understand those complicated principles if you really understand them yourself. So whilst health and nutrition, you know, I mean, there's, all kinds of sciences, aren't there, that influence health and nutrition from, you know, psychology and behavioral sciences to physiology and biochemistry and biomechanics and and all these cool things. And there's so much information out there that we could never, ever hope to read and understand all of it ourselves. But 
I still think that health and fitness can still be boiled down to a number of very simple principles. And so if we can just focus on nailing those down and, and helping people understand what they are and how to integrate them into their day, then the other stuff can always wait till later. And um, I think the more you experience it, live it, breathe it yourself, the, the, the easier time you have helping others. For sure, yeah. And like with those clients that you're talking about then, over obviously 15 years, huge amount of experience in the industry, what are the big uh, big learnings? Is there anything that you would have done particularly differently when you were starting out or even now that you're looking to try and change the way you do things? What are yeah, big I think learnings? so. That's a, a good question because um, I remember when I first started out as a PT, I'm quite a systematic sort of guy, I guess, if, I, if I'm, you know, sort of sit back and appraise myself and a little bit Taipei personality, a little bit sort of OCD tendencies. Um, and, and I used to like put together these wonderful, you know, amazing looking consultation packages with 50,000 questionnaires and, you know, 100,000 pages that would probably take someone a week to get through. And I thought I was doing them a really good service by trying to dig into every little kind of corner of their life and try to understand them. And what I realized is that, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, most people don't, A, don't have time for that sort of thing. Um, that's not all of the information that you need to know right there and right now. There's plenty of time to, to kind of understand that person uh, as your relationship develops as a, as a coach and, and a client. And actually, sometimes what you need to do is sit there one-to-one -one with that person and have much more of a general conversation and let the information organically come out as to, you know, what is their why? What are their deep-seated motivations? Why is it important for that person to achieve X, Y, and Z that, that they're telling you that they want to achieve? And to start sort of digging down a little bit more into some of the um, emotional attachments to their goals, why it's important to them, and therefore how strong is their motivation to want to work towards that. So uh, I think certainly across the years, I've refined my processes um, and my coaching methods when I work with people from, from being something that was probably um, way over-engineered um, and, and was, was probably interesting. And if I worked with the right kind of client and they would give that information, then, then great. I could build a very good composite picture of them. But actually what I realize now is that sometimes you can learn much more from someone when you just sit and have a coffee. Um, and you have a general discussion and let the information come out and it's relaxed and it's not particularly structured, but you're looking for certain pieces of information. You're looking to ask certain questions. That way they feel more comfortable. They, I think the trust and the rapport is there. Um, and then you guys get off on a, on a good footing. So you're, you're undercover. You're kind of, when you're, when you're probing people, um, you know, when you've got a list of questions, we're going to go through these 10 things. Like people tell you what you want to hear. You know, yeah. like they, they tell you, well, I want to I want to do X, Y or Z because they know it's what the coach wants to hear. But when they get down and that's when there's conflict after five, six weeks and people aren't getting what they want. Like I've had one of my big learnings from, you know, our kind of five years of just working with this, this population is if you don't find out what people really want at the start, you can never, ever give them what they're what they're paying you money for what they're here to achieve and uh, one of my longest clients we had like a really big conflict literally after our first session you know this person came in saying i really want to lose weight this is what i want to do so i laid out this really you know really tight fitness program that was going to challenge them and you know i was delighted i was sure it was going to work and then the conversation immediately after the first session was are we going to be doing that that every week you know like i, I hated that <laughs> and i was like well you said you want to lose body fat and you want to get fitter so yeah we're going to do that no, I want to, I want to lift weights. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, like 
you want to get stronger you want to work it but like it's find out what that person wants on day one and let them understand that they don't need to tell you what you think you need to hear they need to be really honest with themselves one of the other things i say is as a as a coach you you should always keep those communication lines open so even after a workout now i I like to try uh as much as i can and just you know ask my clients at the end okay so how was the workout did it kind of meet the particular uh expectations that you had for today based on what you told me you wanted to work towards does this feel like it's helped you nudge a bit further down the line towards that end objective? And sometimes, you know, clients are quite brutal. I mean, they're paying good money for your services. So um, their expectations are pretty high. And if you don't hit the mark, more often than not, they're pretty happy to tell you that. And, and that's actually a really good thing because I think as coaches and personal trainers, we're, we're also running a business as well, right? So it's much more effective financially to keep and retain a client than to lose a client and have to go after a new one. And, you know, of course, also, we, we want to do the best we can for that client. So if they leave us, it means in some respects we've failed them and it's not their fault. It's probably our fault for not understanding them well enough. So I think if we're always talking to them and trying to uh, get an insight into whether we've we've done our job in any given session or at the end of a training cycle or at the end of a six-month block and and they turn around to, to us and say okay yeah that was awesome I really feel like that was positive I've moved forward or if they actually turn around to you and say uh, didn't particularly enjoy that type of workout don't really feel that uh, it, it's really meeting on my knees sometimes you have to, it, that's a good thing you have to take that on the chin and as a coach you have to not be offended by that or get too upset by that um, even if it, you feel that you've worked in the best interest of the client if they still turn around and say uh, I'm not quite sure if I was really feeling that you know you have to learn to take those things on the chin and go okay let's just sit back and reflect a little bit and 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 listen to that feedback and act on it rather than just ignore it and and I'm going to keep that client and service them better you know going forward and that's how you last 15 years in the industry well i'd like to think so i've made plenty of mistakes so that's for sure so so then obviously that's kind of your background with coming into the animal flow like in ireland anyway like movement-based training for lack of a very general term uh has really been popularized in, in recent years by conor mcgregor and his meteoric rise in the mma he sort of attributes a lot of his um his early success down to the type of training that he does. So his movement-based training, things like capoeira, uh, his work with Edo Portal. Um, it's probably pretty cool for you guys who, you know, for Inanimate Flow, to see movement-style training becoming more popularized in public. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's great. The whole movement renaissance, I think, has been an awesome thing for the industry. Um, you know, we've seen lots of other companies uh, come up with gymnastic types programs, you know, using rings, using parallettes, uh, lots of other bodyweight programs. And, you know, Animal Flow is just one of those. Um, and I think we've been really successful because yeah, Animal Flow program has been around a long time, probably even before the, the movement training renaissance kind of kicked in. Um, and, and that's not to say that Animal Flow is the, the best program and the only program that people should be doing with respect to their movement training. It's one piece of the puzzle. You know, we think we have a great system that helps people move better, help, that helps people to reconnect within their bodies. Um, we, we try and help improve mobility, stability, coordination, skill, strength. But equally, the more types of training that you do, the bigger variety of training that you bring into your, your, your routine, the better for, for, for the most part. So assuming that nobody listening uh, really understands the concept of what animal flow is, like they see some of it, they might see see it on Instagram or see it, you know, as it's become a bit more mainstream. Like, what is it and why why was it born? Yeah, so animal flow uh, was created by one of my good buddies and, and, and mentor, uh, Mike Fitch. Um, Mike and I sort of, I guess, have fairly similar 
stories, I guess, in how we came around to uh, getting more into movement training. So Mike in particular said, you know, was a, was a trainer, really good trainer. He was a, was a big dude, pretty jacked, said that he, you know, didn't feel great within his body anymore and, and had to seek out other training approaches. Uh, and, and from there decided that he would hire himself a whole bunch of coaches that were experts in their respective disciplines from gymnastics and breakdancing and, and parkour, hand balancing and immersed himself in those disciplines. And, and I think from there, um, you know, having spoken to Mike numerous times, he, he discovered that if you've got this really tough movement, for example, you know, a handstand or a muscle up, um, you know, how can it be possible that we can take this pinnacle exercise and break it down a number of steps so that we can start with a really regressed, easy uh, version to begin with and then steadily move our way through this progressive sequence until we get to the exercise we're trying to to be able to achieve and so I think he applied uh, that principle to all these different disciplines that he was learning and and came up with sort of a whole bunch of movements that um, at a fundamental level were influenced by different disciplines like gymnastics and and, and dance and and hand balancing etc and and realized that they actually sat really well together and so Animal Flow was born from Mike's experimentation of trying to improve the way his body moved uh, as influenced by lots of other disciplines and so Animal Flow is an amalgamation of, of that experience whereby we're trying to focus on different fitness qualities that need to be you know, really fundamental to, to what we have in our, our training week. So mobility, stability, coordination, um, control, uh, energy transfer, some of these more subtle uh, fitness qualities that perhaps don't get so much uh, discussion. And you know, Animal Flow is a great amalgamation of that and people really seem to enjoy it and appreciate the, the way their body feels after an Animal Flow session. And is that sort of like the good thing about that is when you hear Mike's why, why he wanted to do this, that's kind of what, like the reason that we were inspired to go and do it is because like we want to try feel a bit better in how we move. And is that, is that who it's for typically? Or is it like in terms of using it as a, a treatment for things like chronic back pain or um, interscapular dysfunctions? Like it, can it be used as, as a rehabilitation therapy, same way that yoga is often recommended by physical therapists and physios? Yeah, exactly. It, it can be used for, for for multiple purposes. I mean, the, the reason I got into it is because I used to do a lot of, you know, like bro training, you know, I, I was, my shoulders were getting, uh, you know, sore and, and my posture was, was breaking down. And I was a young guy. And luckily, I realized that, that pretty early on, if I continued down the route I was going, you know, I, I really wasn't going to be looking great or feeling great when I started getting into my 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond. So I took up capoeira to begin with. And you know, that was awesome for me. I loved it. I enjoyed it. It opened my mind up to why movement training was important and why I should bring that into what I was already doing. And that then allowed me to find animal flow and, and because I was looking around for other options to, uh, and training styles that I could use. And um, so, so from my angle, you know, animal flow helped me, um, I guess, almost regress you know, taking myself from a point of where I, I was now focusing on hypertrophy and strength training and regressing back to what my body really needed and trying to understand that it needed to move better. I needed better freedom of movement within my body. I needed to try and improve my posture, reestablish my joint alignment so that I could actually function better and then look to build back up and start to develop strength and power and those sorts of things again. And, you know, going back to your question about can it be used for for back pain and and people with injuries absolutely yes i've had a number of clients that have had um you know extensive shoulder rehabilitation protocols that they've been on and clients that have had disc herniations and animal flow is great because some of our lowest level uh, you know exercises they begin on the ground so our hands are on the ground our knees are on the ground our feet are on the ground and we begin in what we call the static baby beast position which is six points of contact 
and it's probably the most safest position you can get into. It's relatively decompressed. There's not a huge amount of stress on the body. We're sharing the, 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 the stresses across uh, the upper body, the lower body, the hips, the spine. Gravity is acting down upon us, so we're having to resist and work with gravity effectively in, in terms of aligning our posture, setting our joints in the correct position. And at the very lowest level, we can start to um, correct some of the, the imbalances and, and put ourselves on the path to recovery from injury using a lot of the, the baseline animal flow moves. So it's a really powerful program for that sort of thing. Well, surely there's a transfer into what you're saying there, like traditional strength training. Surely there's a big crossover in terms of those movements and alignments and figuring out how to certain muscle groups there's surely a huge crossover to how that can benefit people's strength training as well oh yeah hugely i mean my, my biggest journey uh through animal flow is, is is my understanding of my body and how to position joints and activate muscles and i know that sounds quite fundamental and that's the sort of thing people should learn right at the beginning but actually you realize that when you start digging into some of the that this very small subtle movements like can I activate my hip can I can I close down the space between my shoulders and my ears and can I drive my my shoulders into protraction and be strong there can I drive them into retraction and be strong there can I extend my hips fully can I rotate and laterally flex my spine when you start trying to understand what those movements actually are and assessing how well you can perform them it really makes you think where are my limitations where are the things in my body that I lack uh, and where I'm deficient and then it brings up the question okay so how do I go about correcting that and so every time you find a problem or a limitation and you set about trying to correct it and improve it and you feed that back into the system as a whole, everything benefits, not just your animal flow practice, but if you like to squat and clean and deadlift and do kettlebell work and other exercises, they all come along for the ride and they also experience those benefits of a, of a system and a kinetic chain that, that actually functions better. And what, what do you think the best way is then from practical experience and obviously doing it yourself and working with your clients, what's the, the easiest and most effective way to integrate that into traditional training programs is it as warm-ups as supersets like what, what's your advice on that yeah i think you just hit the nail on the head there, there's two great examples there he didn't tell me that before um, no. <laughs> no well you guys are smart you, you're smart lads and you know the game so um and i know you you guys have been using animal flow quite a bit yourselves but um i have a couple of clients that are you know they're traditionalists they like their hypertrophy and their strength training but they do uh, understand the need to be able to move better and they appreciate the need to have better joint function and posture and all these things and so they think they come to me and they say, okay, Rich, you know, we know that, you know, you're into your movement training, but you also have a background in, you know, some strength and conditioning background and strength training and hypertrophy training. You know, how can I move better, but not lose my gains? You know, that's, that's the ultimate question. And, and, and that's, if that's what people want, then we have to actually sit down and say, I'm not going to try and persuade you not to do hypertrophy training and bench sure. press and bicep curls because that's what you want and that's what's important to you. But let's see, you know, does movement and hypertrophy or strength training need to be mutually exclusive? That's the question, and I don't think it does. So I think if you're smart and you program intelligently, we can get movement training into more traditional hypertrophy and strength programs. And like you just said, the warm-up represents a great opportunity to put a, a good solid mobility sequence in there. So if I can move consistently for ten, five to 10 minutes, build up a really good sweat, get all those traditional warm-up benefits, but make the movements that we use to achieve that warm-up effect movement-based where we're opening up the shoulders, opening up the T-spine, opening up the hips, opening up the ankles, then that person's going to have a better hypertrophy session upper body session lower body session whatever it is equally you also said supersets so i really like using some of the animal flow um, positions and movements 
during active recovery in between sets of squats and deadlifts and bench and shoulder press and pull-ups and, and whatever it is. So you can almost design programs around supersets or giant sets where you almost cycle around mini circuits. And within that circuit, you might have two or three you know, big hard-hitting strength exercises and then a couple of movement-based exercises that just help keep the, the body open um, and, and, and having tissue alignment and tissue length restored after each exercise, which might close that position down a little bit. And the really fun thing about using the, the flows from what we found is uh, if you do them in warm-ups and try and progress them as the weeks go by, like with animal flow, obviously there's no, there's no numbers, there's no objective progress. But like if you, if you know how you feel doing the movements and you can put a flow together a little bit better, it's, it's really, really rewarding. And that's like you're talking about, like I, I, when I train, I train because I want to be strong and I really enjoy lifting weights. I enjoy doing cardio. But uh, like for me to give up one of my sessions a week to just do animal flow might be difficult, but it gives me best of both worlds to tie those two things in together. And I think like I'd be the same faction as Roy's in. Like I, with, with my own animal flow practice, Carmen started teaching me and then I came to the workshop with you and then I started to teach it in our classes and put it in. For myself, I want to be strong and still stretch, chasing some strength goals, but I also want to look strong, so I also want to have a certain amount of muscle mass. But then what I found with those two... Because you're missing that at the minute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> those two endeavours is everything in that is quite like they're in the same movement patterns, they're fixed, there's nothing with a rotational element to it. Um and like for instance, like one of the moves I'm trying to get stronger at the last few years is deadlift. And what I found really helped my deadlift was deadlifting a lot. Yeah. <laughs> As in quite a lot of frequency, really being consistent with it, doing the hex bar deadlift over and over and over again. And I got really, really strong with that. But the only problem with that is it's just the same movement pattern. There's no rotation in it. And then when I started to bring in animal flow and I found I was getting more stiff as time went by with that, when I started integrating animal flow into my warm ups, having it on separate days where I do work with Carmen, I do it myself on a recovery day. I found that my mobility in the deadlift was so much better, even with quite a lot of volume, quite a lot of frequency. But then what I also found was I was so much more um, injury-proofed and I could have like better rotation. I could do all these movements because I had this form of training that is introducing all these different types of movement, these planes of movement, these control, this stability that the traditional weights exercises weren't having. And it was kind of just filling the gaps there. And the final thing that I noticed that carried over to my strength training was I was able to pick up movements way quicker. So I started doing Olympic mm. lifting over the last nine months with Aoife, one of the coaches here at the gym, and she's an awesome coach and she's been teaching me. But I think the animal flow helped me with the Olympic lifting. The reason being is the experience I had with animal flow is I'd be taught a move. And even if I didn't practice it for a week, we'd come back and we'd do it again. I wouldn't think about it. I could do it way better the second time because my body would remember that and I've laid down some sort of pathway to do the movement again. Mm. So then when I'm coming into Olympic lifting now, I found I'm able to pick that up way better than I was in the past when I only did pure strength training because I'm used, I'm used to basically feeling a movement and then doing it again. And I've got all these kind of new ranges of motion, this ability to pick up movements faster. So I think even for people who are doing strength training at the moment, and they're kind of like, well, I'm flexible enough, I don't need any more mobility, I'd encourage them to try some animal flow in some sort of component, whether it be in their warm-ups, whether it be on a recovery day, whether it be as a superset, 
and just try it for a while and see if you notice those things start to come up where you find you're just moving and feeling better. You're able to pick up movements way quicker than you were before because um, that's kind of my experience yeah, sure. with it. One of the things I think that you just said there was great is that animal flow can, can fill in some gaps and that's not to degrade the importance of, of animal flow and, and, and movement training and, and our program. It's you training intelligently, knowing that your primary goals are getting stronger, deadlifting, Olympic weightlifting, but also recognizing that if you have more movement variability within your training week, that will enhance the key primary goals that you already have. So one of the the, the, the key books that as an animal flow master instructor and as a team we've all read is Katie Bowman's Move Your DNA book, which is a great book. And we had her on our animal flow podcast uh, a little while ago. You know, we, we threw some questions out at her, but her key premise is, is that daily and, and weekly and monthly movement variation is so important for the health of the body because the way those forces through different movements are experienced are, are unique. Every single different movement that we bring into the body creates a new, a unique stimulus for the body to have to react to. And that's all the way down to um, the individual cells. One of the guys that, that I think is fascinating doing a lot of good work in this area is Donald Ingber. And he's doing a whole lot of research on how mechanotransduction, which is how forces come into the body and are then transferred down to the cells, how they're affecting things like disease and health. So even though I think that's a you know an ongoing area of research and a developing area, I think it's certainly worth keeping in mind that even though uh, movement training, if, if you know, in inverted commas, um, may be sometimes hard to, to to recognize exactly what the benefits of that might be at the time, we can certainly know that bringing different movements into our body on a daily or weekly basis may be having some deep-rooted effect on our health down at the level of our of our organs, of our tissues, of our cells. And you know, that's a good enough reason for me just to make sure that I always try something different, basically, and make sure that I'm doing a variety of strength work, movement work. I'm, I'm doing some low-level stuff like just basic walking and and, and and relaxing as well as the high intensity stuff. I'm doing some cardio um, and, and and I'm testing my body every week in a different way. Of course, you know, we all recognize that that to get a goal, you have to be consistently doing the same thing. For example, deadlifting. You, you can't get better at deadlifting if you're not deadlifting with high frequency and the right intensities. So that always has to be there if that's a key objective. But then how can we, under the radar, slide in all those those different other complementary training approaches like mobility work that then, um, A, improves our health overall. So like you said earlier, uh, making sure the fundamentals are covered, building health from the ground up, but then supporting our key objectives and making sure that, that we experience movement um, in, in a varied way. And you, know, you also mentioned about your Olympic lifting, how you found animal flow would, would, would help that. A lot of our movements in animal flow will mobilize and get into all those small gnarly joints that, that often get stuck. So, you know, things like the toe joints, when we're doing things like loaded beast, which is one of our animal flow positions, I mean, there's a huge amount of, of toe uh, joint movement that's required there. And a lot of people, when they first try that position, I like, couldn't oh, move my man. toes or yeah, my wrists my big toe, <laughs> for the next like, day. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, but we forget how important toe mobility is because we, our bodies are stacked on top of our feet, right? So if the feet don't function really well and the ankles don't move really well, then the knees get beasted and the hips don't move well and the lower back gets screwed up and so on and so forth. That's that kind of, you know, kinetic chain principle that, that Mike Boyle and, and Gray Cook talk about. So, you know, animal flow helps get your feet mobilized. It helps mobilize your ankles. It's great for your hips. It's great for building stability up in the shoulder girdle and all those things would play beautifully into being a better uh, Olympic lifter. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, animal flow has great transference into that. Yeah, what we're like, we're huge fans of the program and like, 
obviously from what we do to apply it with ourselves and with our clients so uh, like we couldn't recommend enough for people and can you tell us Rich how people can find out more about it if they want to find more information on Almaflow yeah sure so uh, the, the easiest thing to do is jump onto uh, onto the web um, check out the Animal Flow website and there's a whole list of of, of our courses um, where you can find uh, different Animal Flow instructors a little bit about the program also uh, jump onto Facebook and Instagram and, and, and follow the Animal Flow pages there and, and what you'll see is when you look at those is that we have a whole community around the world of of practitioners that are posting their flows, posting their workouts that they're performing with their clients, um, posting the progress that they're having with their clients. Um, there's some really cool flows where we've got some really high-level practitioners doing some crazy stuff. I mean, you know, you look at what people c- can do since they first took their animal flow certification with us, and and their progress and skill is is incredible. So you know, you'll see some pretty sort of jaw-dropping uh, routines as well, as well as some of the simple stuff being done really well. Yeah, that's really cool. And how can people find you, Rich, on Instagram? What's your handle? Yeah, I'm just uh, Rich underscore Scrivener, so you know, nothing exciting about that. Boring. One, but, <laughs> but easy to find. And it's a good time to mention, guys, if you enjoy what you're listening to, make sure you click subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search for Fit Sake. You can get me on Instagram at, at Rory Mac FFS and Kieran Ruddock. Yeah, stay away from Twitter, people. No Twitter comments for us. So, Rich, <laughs> look, what we're going to do is have a little bit of fun now. Right, we didn't fill you in on this. This was going to happen, so it's legitimately unscripted. No, you did not. <laughs> um, you kind of came in. We were just finishing up our session this morning. We threw a little cheeky forfeit last week because uh, Rudd's let us down. Really, Rudd's. There's nothing else to to say on that. Yeah, yeah, simple. Yeah, that's it. So Rudd's has come up with a fitness forfeit this week. Uh, you've got one chance to say whether you want in or not, Rich. You, you don't have to do it today. You've got the workshop. But yeah, I'm always in. Yeah, yeah okay, right, Rudd's. What in. is the forfeit? You have to do a hundred. Well, we might have to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the royal you. The royal you. Okay. I like the way this is already decided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is rigged. I'm not are doing. Yeah. I'm not lo- losing again. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, we have to do, you have to do, someone has to do a hundred <laughs> calories on three bits of gym equipment. So the three cardio equipment of your choice, you can split it up whatever way you want. You can do it as intervals. You can bang it out <laughs> in straight lines but you just have to in get a 100 session, calories done three, 300 calories 100 calories on three bits of equipment sorry so 100 calories on each of those three bits of equipment yeah so for example a salt bike skier grower yeah how long is that going to take as you estimate it, it takes as long as you want you can oh. do it whatever way you want you can take three minutes break after it, one it, thing in one sitting or like over a week no you have to do it all in one session oh but you can God. do it whatever way you want <laughs> and let let I'm glad we've screwed it. you with the question. That Richard, happy with that? Yeah, okay, whatever. You can't do it flowing. We need to see the numbers on the screen, Rich. Uh, okay, so what we're going to have is an Irish-themed pub quiz. All right, yeah, we, did, we didn't get to bring you out for uh, show you some real Dublin hospitality yesterday, but this should give you kind of a flavour as to what we're about. So, uh, Rich, you accept. That's on the record. Rudds, me and you have to accept, unfortunately. So, Rich, question number one. These are all multiple choice, so we're being pretty fair. So right. five questions, so all you got to do is get three right, and then me and Rudds are screwed. So question number <laughs> one, what is the most popular beer in Ireland? Is it A, Budweiser, B, Guinness, or C, Smithix? All right, so it would be too obvious to go for Guinness. I'm going for the Smithix. And you would be incorrect. It oh, is Guinness. No, come on. <laughs> oh, that's such a good start, Rudds. Okay. Damn. Smithix is close, but I'm glad. I'm glad. Okay. Question number two. What famous Irish comedian has his own wine range? Mm. This guy appears on British television, so you have no excuse. Is it A, Darrell Breen? Is it B, Graham Norton? Or is it C, Ardell O'Hanlon? I'm going to go for Darrell. 
Rudds, we are two up. It is Graham Norton. Oh, right. I just want to do the challenge, so I'm getting these wrong delivery. Okay, well, well you're not, hopefully you're not going to get this one right. Okay, question number three. Who famously and metaphorically put the ball in the English net? Was it A, Roy Keane, B, Ray Houghton, or C, Niall Quinn? Think now. you got a lot on the line here. It was Keane, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, these questions were easy as well. It was Ray Houghton, 1988. Oh, oh man. Yeah, that's good. Okay, Rich, that's good. Okay, what we'll do is we'll, we'll ask the last two anyway just to give you a little bit of a gloss on it. So, yeah, thanks. Uh, this, is my, this is my home, t- home city, not town, my home city. So, make Get this right. What nickname is given to Kilkenny sporting teams? Is it the cats, the dogs, or the horses? Jeez. Uh, you said you love coming to Ireland. In all your stuff, I love yeah, coming I to Ireland. I it's such a good place. I, I love Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> I love the landscape. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go cats. And you are correct. Hey. Well, unfortunately, it's too late. Okay. Last <laughs> question then. Which holy place is regarded as the lords of Ireland? Is it, you know, Blarney? Knock or Carrick and Shannon. Our famous songs about this place. Shannon. Knock. Okay, right, oh. Rods. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm shocking. Yeah, and I'm not even gonna like, you know, sympathetic do it with you. Like you are doing that on your own. Yeah, Rudds I, des- I deserve it. Rods will wanna do it with you, but <laughs> yeah, whatever. I might do it and have it yeah, we'll see. So Rich, that was, that was good. I'm glad that went well. Um <laughs> I you're, just you're up never next gonna come sure. back here, yeah. No, that's it, this I'm podcast done again. Uh, so just last thing Rich uh, we just want to give people a bit of a background into other things that you might be doing try to give some people some inspiration so uh, any any cool books or anything that you're reading at the minute or you could recommend to people that are listening um, you know I've just been delving into um, a lot of research journals recently um, so I'm a big fan of um, Alan Arrigan's uh, research review I like the new mass review that, that, that Greg Knuckles um, and guys are doing um, I like diving into the the NSEA um, strength and conditioning journals so I think in terms of resources those those three things are great places to start if you're interested in nutrition uh, strength and conditioning general uh, fitness practice and ideas um, as I said recently I read um, Katie Bowman's book um, so that's a good one if you're if you're sort of exploring the ideas of movement training um, and you want to know a little bit more about that it's a, it's a nice simple book it helps break down the principles really well so um, yeah they're, they're pretty good resources yeah, we'll, we'll pop that up in the description and a movie doesn't have to be educational or anything just any kind of movies that you've seen recently that you've enjoyed dude you know what I've got a Cineworld uh, monthly pass and you know I pay something like 20 quid a month and I've seen zero oh. films I'm, I'm, the only films I get to see are when I'm on a plane and I'm travelling somewhere um, I forget the name of it now, but it was a Will Smith film, and he plays uh, a dude. I think he's from Africa, and he's Concussion. a yeah, that's yeah, yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. Really good film. awesome film. And I don't know how that slipped under my radar. And I didn't see that when it first came out, but that's a cracking film, and he's awesome in that. So yeah, African really doctor with that. the, that's it, the yeah. guys in Pittsburgh, the Steelers footballers who. Uh, yeah, the concussion. It's it's crazy, crazy movie. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. good. Okay, that's pretty sick. And music. What kind of music do you like to do your three hundred calorie burn to? What are you going to be listening to? <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I'm just going to smash on some uh, Spotify. Try and select the the most hardcore kind of workout uh, tracks I can find, and just uh, get jacked up on ten coffees, and then and then hit this thing. Sounds fair enough. So, yeah, yeah. And, uh, Rich, look, just th- thanks again so much for joining us. It's been like we've we've had good fun. We've had great fun having you in Dublin for a couple of days. Obviously, still a good bit of work to do today with the second day of the certification um, do you want to let people know maybe what's next on the agenda for you what, what you got coming up over the next couple of weeks or months yeah so I've got, got some more animal flow 
workshops. Uh, I'm going to be in Poland, uh, in Warsaw next week. And then I am working with the uh, Ricky Haddon Boxing Academy guys. We've developed a strength and conditioning course for fighters. Um, not not you know, for professional fighters, although it would apply, but we're, we're looking to help educate um, uh, fitness trainers that, that are interested in using boxing for fitness for their clients but if they also wanted to know how can I help my clients get a little bit more um, into the strength and conditioning side of things that supports boxing performance then we've developed a course for 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 that so um, I'll be up in Manchester teaching that with my good pal John from the Hatton Academy um, and then I think from there a little bit of wind down into Christmas so I'm looking forward to, to taking some time out. Fantastic Rich thanks again for joining us big man enjoy the rest of your day. My pleasure thanks guys keep doing your good work. Okay, that's a wrap. Episode number two is in the bag. Huge shout out to Rich for joining us. Myself and Rudds have had an absolute blast shooting this episode. If you guys have enjoyed it, click subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. That way you'll get notified when a new episode is live. If you've got anything you guys would like us to cover in upcoming episodes, hit us on podcast.fs.e or Instagram. We'll catch you next time from The Home Hard Work. <laughs>